0: Well good morning, friends. Hi, and good morning to those who are joining us online. Who wants to continue to praise God for the hope that He has given us? Who wants to continue to talk about the living hope that we have? Uh, I, I would love to get you to turn to First Peter chapter 1 in your Bibles. That's going to be where we're camping out this morning. And I'm not going to have the verses up on the screen, so you're going to want your Bible or your device open so that you can follow along. And as you're turning there, I'd love to tell you a story. A couple of years ago, I went to Haiti with a few of you and worked with Dr. Paul and Friendship Church of Pion, Haiti. And while we were there, I was given the privilege of speaking at the Sunday morning service. Now, any of you who have ever had the opportunity to speak and have what you're saying translated, know that it more than doubles the length of whatever you're going to say. And so knowing this and thinking, boy, it's, it's probably going to be hot in there. I should try and keep this short. I prepared about a 20-minute message knowing that once translated, it would be about 45 minutes. What I didn't think about as I was thinking, boy, I should try and keep this short, what I didn't think about is how little people in other countries care about our American desire to get in and out of church quickly. And we were in church that morning for two hours before I ever stood up to speak. I I spoke for 45 minutes and we still weren't done. All told, the service that day went for a good three hours. And it was awesome. I, I can't imagine a better way to spend those three hours that Sunday morning than worshiping God and praising Him together as believers it was a great time. But because it went on for three hours, as soon as we were done, everybody went to grab lunch. And as I was eating lunch, Dr. Paul and our team leader, Kyle Whitmore, came and spoke to me and said, hey, we've, we've been talking to people from the congregation. And they all want to know if we can meet again in a few hours for another worship service, an impromptu worship service at 430 in the afternoon. And Matt, would you be willing to speak at that worship service? Without having any idea what I was going to talk about, I said, yeah, sure, absolutely. And then I asked Dr. Paul, is there anything in particular that would be helpful for your people to hear? And he said to me, just bring a message of hope. Life is hard for these people. Would you just bring them a message of hope? And so I went away by myself for a few minutes to think and pray about whatever I was going to say a little later that afternoon. And I began to think about what promise of hope I was going to give to those people. As I'd spent the week with them, what, what I had seen is deep and intense poverty. Haiti is the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. I'd seen people living in challenging circumstances that had brought about health concerns that we don't even deal with here in the United States. I saw people trying to deal with a corrupt government that stole from the people. And I thought, what what hope can I give to them in this? Am I going to offer them a promise that although they've lived in poverty for generations, this is the year you'll have abundance. Although your circumstances have been hard, they're all going to be fixed in the next few months. I, I knew I couldn't offer them that promise that God doesn't make. And as I thought about this and prayed about it, I was reminded that there's an entire book of the New Testament that is written to give hope to people who are in hard and difficult circumstances. And of course, that book is 1 Peter. God writes 1 Peter through the Apostle Peter to a group of people who are going through intense hardship and challenge in their life. They are poor. Most of them are functioning as slaves in that society. Not only that, because they're followers of Christ, they have been ostracized from so many of their family and friends. We're at a period in history where Christians are starting to be locked up for their faith and put in prison. Some are even sewn into animal skins and torn apart by wild animals for the amusement of the crowds. And into those challenges and all of that pain, Peter writes this letter saying, you guys." life is overflowing with hope in Jesus Christ. And so as I addressed that group a couple of years ago, it was the passage we just read that I went to in order to talk about the living hope that is ours in Jesus Christ, no matter what our circumstances look like. And as we process what we have been going through for the last 10 months and recognize that there have been additional challenges maybe additional heartaches and pain during this time of COVID. What we need is the same message of hope that those people in Haiti needed two two years ago and the same message that the people that Peter's writing to needed 2,000 years ago of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, no matter how hard or how challenging our circumstances are. And, And that's what we're looking at in this series, Hope Rising. We just read verses 3 through 9, but I'd actually like to go back and read for you verses 1 and 2 because in verses 1 and 2, we already see hope overflowing just in those introductory verses to this passage. 1 Peter 1, verses 1 and 2 says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for the obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with His blood." We see here in verse 2 this beautiful picture of how the Trinity is working in harmony to bring about salvation. And just in the first few words of 1 Peter chapter 1, we already see the hope that is ours in Jesus Christ. Where where is that hope? No matter what your circumstances are, there is hope because God chose you. God chose you. Peter says, I am writing this to the elect. This is a term that is used of followers of Jesus Christ throughout the New Testament. They are the elect. The Greek word electos means to be chosen. You are chosen. And if you're a part of the family of God, it is because God has chosen you to come and be a part of that family. And as Jesus expresses in John chapter 6, if God's chosen you to come and be in his hand, who can wrestle you out of his hand? Who, Who is it that can wrestle you away from God? God has chosen you. There's amazing hope in that. And even greater hope when we begin to look at the words that describe that choosing. There is great hope because not only have you been chosen, but you've been chosen to be an exile. You're an elect exile. That's who he's talking to here. People who are elect exiles. And the New Testament is clear that when you became a follower of Jesus Christ, your citizenship was no longer on earth. Where's your citizenship? It's in heaven, isn't it? Right? That's in verses 3 through 5. So I'm jumping ahead a little bit. But now you're a sojourner. Right? This, this word "parapedidamo" means to be a, a foreigner, one who sojourns temporarily in a place. You're a visitor here. And there is amazing hope in the fact that God has chosen you to be an exile here, chosen you to be a sojourner, a, a temporary visitor here on the Earth. For one, when you're in the midst of hardship, what hope is there in being an exile? There's the hope that it's not going to last. You're just a temporary visitor here. Even if that hardship in your life lasts the rest of your life on this earth, that's such a tiny fraction of your overall existence. And so there's great hope in the midst of hardship because we're exiles and we know that hardship isn't going to last. There's also tremendous hope for me in being an exile because I know when hardship and pain come into my life, I should expect that. I'm an exile. I'm just a sojourner here. And the life of an exile is one where you should expect some hardship and some challenge. This isn't my permanent home, my place of comfort. Now, if I come to Jesus Christ and my expectation in coming to him is that he is going to provide more and more comfortable circumstances for me, remove all pain in this life and bring me into pleasure and then I experience hardship and challenge, what happens? I say, wow, something's got to be wrong here, right? Something's wrong with me, maybe I'm not saved. Something must be wrong with God. Does he even exist? Is he even there? Why am I experiencing this hardship and pain? But when I recognize that Jesus has said, in this life, you will have pain, you will have trouble, you will have tribulation, then I expect it and when the pain and hardship comes along, it doesn't steal my hope. I expect it because I'm just in exile here. On top of that, there's even greater hope when I recognize that because I'm in exile here, I don't have to strive after everything that the world says we have to strive after to be successful. Maybe I'd have to strive after all of those things if the goal was to form a nice, comfortable life here, an Instagram-ready life, right? But, but that's not the desire. I'm in exile, and so the things that the world pursues, I, I don't have to pursue those. And what freedom there is in that. What joy there is in that. What hope there is in not having to pursue all of the things the world says you have to pursue in order to be successful, In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, don't don't be pursuing those things. You're exiles here. The pagans run after those things. Instead, as an exile whose true citizenship is in heaven, seek first the kingdom of God. Use your days living as an exile to seek the things that are permanent. And so there's great hope in the fact that God has chosen us to be exiles, to have citizenship elsewhere. But our hope only increases when we recognize that God chose us in his foreknowledge. Did you notice here how it says we are chosen according to the foreknowledge of the Father? Now there has been a lot of ink spilled over what this word foreknowledge means and how God's foreknowledge operates. And we'll dig in a little more to that when this same word is used in verse 20 next week. But for today... All I want us to recognize is at the bare minimum, at the very least of what this word foreknowledge could mean, it means that God fully knew everything about you and everything you would ever do when he chose you. Which means God never has buyer's remorse about you. He knew fully what he was getting into when he purchased you for his family. He never has buyer's remorse about you. You ever had buyer's remorse about something? I I wish we could break down into small groups right now and talk about the worst purchase we've ever made. It's not the worst purchase we've ever made, but a couple of years ago, my wife and I, we bought a a coffee table to go in the middle of a U-shaped sectional that we have. And we went out one Saturday kind of on a whim and said, let's look for a table that would work in there. And we found a table that we both liked. And we bought it and we brought it home. And when we got it home, I realized, hmm, maybe we should have measured how big that space was in the sectional. Hmm, maybe we should have measured the table. Because when we got it home, it was too big, A handful of you have been in my home and you know that when that table sat in the middle of that U-shaped sectional, you kind of had to shuffle along in order to ever get into the couch. And if anyone ever sat in the couch, no one could ever get by them because of how little space there was to sit on the couch next to you. Uh, Just as a a wrap-up, that table's actually in another room now uh, in my house where hopefully it works a little better. I had a bit of buyer's remorse over that table. Man, I wish I had that decision to do over again. Boy, that doesn't really fit here. Because God has chosen you fully within his perfect foreknowledge, he never has that buyer's remorse over you. He never says, oh boy, that one doesn't quite fit here. Mm, I wish I had that decision over. God fully knew all of the mess of your life this last week all of the mess of your life the week before that and the week before that, all of the sins that you would commit. And yet in his great mercy, he chose you knowing all of that and so he never has buyer's remorse. You've been chosen in the foreknowledge of the Father. And our hope in hard times only increases all the more when we realize that God chose us to grow more like Jesus. We're told that we are chosen in verse 2 According to the, in the sanctification of the Spirit. That word sanctification comes from a Greek root that is the word for holy. To be sanctified means to grow in holiness. The next line says that we have been chosen in order to be obedient to Jesus Christ. Why has God chosen us? To grow in holiness and obedience, to grow more like Jesus. What good news that is when I'm going through hard things in life. Because I know that God can use those hard things in order to bring about the great goal that there is for my life to become more like Jesus. That there are essentially two great goals that we can have in life one is to become more like Jesus, two is to become more comfortable. If my great goal in life is to become more comfortable and pain and hardship comes into my life, I see it as evil because it's keeping me from my primary objective of becoming more comfortable. But if my primary objective in life is God's primary objective for me, that I become more like Jesus, then I can recognize the good that can come out of those hardships and challenges. Recognize the truth of passages like James 1 and Romans 5 that in fact, hardship and trial build our Christ-likeness like nothing else. There's such good news in that. I was at the gym a couple of times this week and I experienced pain and hardship. Right? There was pain in my muscles. There was hardship in my lungs as I worked out. And if my aim was for my body to be as comfortable as possible, I would never go back, right? Because it's really uncomfortable to work out. But that's not my primary goal, right? My primary goal is that I might get in at least a little better shape. And because that's the primary goal, I recognize that pain and that hardship, that's serving that purpose. And so I'll go back for more pain and hardship someday, at some point because I have a different primary goal than being comfortable. For us as followers of Jesus, there's such good news and such hope in the fact that God has chosen us to be more like Jesus because when I experience discomfort, that's not evil. That can bring about the greatest purposes that exist in my life. What what amazing hope there is in the fact that God has chosen us. Chosen us here to be exiles, exiles. According to his foreknowledge so that we would become more holy, more obedient, more like Jesus Christ. But this is just the start of the hope that we see in this passage. Verses 3 through 5 is filled with a whole other reason for hope. God has chosen us and he's chosen to save us to an amazing inheritance that is ours in his family. Look at verse 3. It says that we have a living hope. Why do we have a living hope? not because we've earned it, it says, but because of his great mercy. We didn't deserve it, but God chose to give us this hope and to bring us into his family. And because, verse 3 says, we're a part of the family of God because of what Jesus Christ did, verse 4 says, we now have the hope of an astounding inheritance as one of God's children. How great is that inheritance, you guys? Come on, how great is that inheritance? Isn't it hard to imagine how great that heavenly inheritance is while living in this world? The words that he uses in verse 4 here, words like imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. I understand what all of those words mean. But it is so hard for me to picture that in a world where everything is perishing. In where everything and everyone is defiled in some way. In which every joy that we might experience fades over time. This is so difficult for me to imagine. A world in which there's no sickness and death. A world in which there is no pain or sadness. A world in which there is no sin, no anxiety, no hate, no selfishness, but only love and joy and peace. Can you imagine that? That's the astounding inheritance that God says his children will receive. And if you're his child, what are the chances you'll receive that inheritance? Verse 5 says it's 100%, you guys, because he is keeping that inheritance for you, and verse 5 says he's keeping you for that inheritance. It's being kept by God's power. Do you think he's strong enough to make sure it happens? Yeah, he is. You will not arrive at that heavenly inheritance and find out that some believer from the third century took your spot. I thought I had a reservation. No, no, they took your place. That's not going to happen. You won't arrive at your heavenly inheritance and find out that the believers from the 17th century took all of Jesus' calendar appointments. He's got no more time for you. No, God is guarding you for that inheritance and he is guarding that inheritance for you. And he has the ability and power to make sure that uh, it is 100% that you will experience that inheritance. Where is that inheritance kept? Where, where is our inheritance as children of God? We're told that it is kept in heaven for you. Our primary hope is never in an inheritance in this world. Here, we're just exiles. Our primary inheritance is always where? In heaven. This is so important to understand because there are so many prominent false teachers these days who have gained wide viewership, who teach something along the lines of a primary hope being here on earth with better, more comfortable circumstances. Right? They have relocated your primary hope and inheritance. No longer is it in heaven. Now it is in tomorrow. And the more comfortable circumstances that you will experience tomorrow. Uh, I was on vacation a couple of weeks ago and I happened to catch one of these false teachers. Apparently I didn't have anything better to do. And he declared over his whole congregation and every believer who was watching, 2021 is going to be the year of favor. I don't quite have the southern accent. Favor. (laughs) And then he began to list. If 2020 was a year of financial hardship, 2021 is going to be the greatest year of financial blessing in your life. If 2020 was a year of challenging health circumstances, 2021 is going to be the year of the greatest health and fitness you've ever experienced. If 2020 was a year of political loss, 2021 is going to be a year of political victory. And everyone cheered, yes! Right, what has he done? He's taken the primary hope of believers located in heaven and he has offered a lesser version of more comfortable circumstances here on earth, making promises that God doesn't make to people. And people eat it up. Why? Why is the viewership tens and tens of thousands? Because people have itching ears for a message that will appeal to their selfishness and worldly desires. Then when they don't experience the greatest blessings in their circumstances that they've ever experienced, what do they do? Well, I, I don't even know if God's out there. I, I was promised that God would make this the most blessed year of all time in my circumstances, and, and it didn't happen. Why? Because God never made those promises. Some false teacher made them on his behalf. Here are my promises to you for 2021. I'm pretty sure you can count on these. 2021 may be the greatest year of financial blessing ever in your life or 2021 may be the year that you lose everything and go bankrupt or somewhere in between. (laughs) 2021 may be the year of greatest health and fitness you've ever experienced or 2021 may be the year that you're diagnosed with a terminal illness and die or somewhere in between. 2021 may be the greatest year of relational intimacy you've ever had with family and friends or 2021 may be the year that one of your friends goes off the rail and causes all kinds of pain and heartache for you and for those around you or somewhere in between. I cannot promise you health and wealth and popularity in the coming year because God does not make those promises but here's what I can promise you as a follower of Jesus Christ, no matter what you go through in 2021, Jesus will walk with you through it. That no matter how bad your circumstances are, he will still produce fruit like love and joy and peace in your life. And that ultimately the great joy and hope of heaven overwhelms any and everything that you might go through this year. Those are the promises that God makes to us. As followers of Jesus during COVID, we have often said things like, we choose faith over fear. Anyone? Anyone said that? Anyone heard people say that? Hey, hey, when it comes to this time of life, I am choosing faith over fear. What does that mean? Well, here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that if I have enough faith in Jesus Christ, God will put a protective bubble around me so that I will never get sick, experience hardship, or die. Let's remember what what happens to the man who's writing this letter two or three years from now. He is literally crucified upside down by the Roman authorities. Much of our New Testament is written by a man named Paul who says, I constantly battled fatigue and illness, going blind until a point where he too was killed by the Roman authorities. God's promise if we have faith isn't that he will put a protective bubble around us. God's promise is if you have faith and this is the year you die, you know where you're going and it is to your ultimate inheritance and your ultimate good. God's promise to us is that we can say along with Paul to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's right. Because we get to experience our ultimate inheritance with him. And that inheritance brings so much hope to our life that it causes a constant rejoicing in us no matter what we're going through. That's what verse 6 talks about. Listen to verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Various trials, literally there is trials of many colors. Right? A wide array, the whole panorama of trials you've experienced. But he says, it's really for a little time And they're really small compared to the greatness of what lies ahead of you, believer. How could these people rejoice when family and friends wouldn't speak to them anymore because they're followers of Jesus? How could they rejoice when their husband or wife was locked away in jail because they claimed the name of Jesus? How could they rejoice when a member of their church was sewn into animal skins and torn apart? Rejoicing could continue in those situations because they recognize we're just exiles here. And God has such an amazing hope for us ahead. It overwhelms all of that. We rejoice when good outweighs bad in an area of our life, right? We, we rejoice when good outweighs bad. If this week my car breaks down and I find out that it's going to cost $4,000 to fix my car, that's bad. But if I also find out this week that somehow I won a lottery and I'm going to receive millions of dollars, what will my attitude be about my finances? I'm going to be pretty pumped about my finances, despite the $4,000 I have to spend to fix the car, because the millions of dollars overwhelms that. And what Peter wants us to understand is that we have won the spiritual lottery, and every day, the inheritance that is ours, it overwhelms any challenges that we face, so that we can be a people of rejoicing no matter what we are going through. That isn't to say that the trials and hardships don't hurt. I don't think Peter or Paul in many places in the New Testament as they write about this are trying to minimize the very genuine pain that comes with some of our hardship. But what they want to do is maximize our view of the astounding inheritance that is ours so we can see how much greater that is than anything we might go through on this earth we have hope in that inheritance. God has saved you to it. And the final thing I want us to understand as we look at this passage, you, you have hope no matter how challenging your circumstances are because God chose you, because he saved you to a heavenly inheritance and because in the midst of those trials, God has used those trials to assure you of your salvation. He's used those trials to assure you of, the, of your salvation. Trials give us hope because the faith that we show in the midst of trials proves our faith to be genuine. Look at verses 6 and 7. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Well, what purpose did those trials serve? Look at the next two words. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Those who are part of God's family get a great inheritance. But you're only a part of God's family if you have a genuine faith in Jesus Christ. How do we know if we have a genuine faith in Jesus Christ? The greatest test in our lives to see if our faith is genuine are the trials and hardship that we go through. If we face those trials and we face them with with greater faith, greater pursuit of Jesus, greater love in our lives, then we know that our faith is real and will stand on the day of judgment. If we face those trials and find our faith wanting, then there is this very positive aspect of that in which we are called to repentance and, and to trust in Jesus for real and for the first time isn't it important that we know if we have a genuine faith before we show up on judgment day right isn't that important when i've led missions teams in the past there is a question that i ask those missions teams over and over again so that eventually it becomes a joke and they mock me for asking it right what is that question do you have your passport Right Do you have your passport? It's printed in all bold across the first agenda when we begin to meet for training, and it appears on every agenda from there on out. And I am texting them to ask them the day before we leave, texting them the morning we leave to ask them. I ask them as soon as they get to the airport. I'm constantly asking them while we're on the trip, because as bad as it is to try and get out of the United States without a passport, it's really bad if you lose it while you're gone. I want to know ahead of time, do you have your passport? Because it's the worst travel mistake you can make to show up without a passport and try and get on a flight overseas. I watched a guy try and do that once as I was in the airport. He had lost his passport and was trying to talk his way onto a plane back to the United States, and that conversation started with frustration and moved to yelling and then to swearing and then to tears. You don't want to be in that spot. And so we check over and over again. And Peter is saying, guys, you want to check before you get to the day of judgment whether or not you have a genuine faith in Christ Jesus. And these trials serve this wonderful purpose of helping test our faith. And when we see that that faith is genuine in the midst of trial, it gives us this great hope of assurance Yes, I have a genuine relationship with Jesus, and I will be His forevermore. God works that amazing assurance in us through trials. I knew a guy uh, a few years ago who was diagnosed with terminal cancer, and between the time of his diagnosis with cancer and the time of his passing, it was three years. And over the course of those three years, he came to a place where he saw that terminal diagnosis as the greatest gift that God had ever given to him. Because up until that diagnosis, he would tell you that I'd check Christian on a box, I'd show up for church, but Jesus wasn't the Lord and King of my life. He says, if God hadn't given me this diagnosis, I might have showed up on the day of judgment and never known if I had a genuine and real faith in Jesus Christ. But because of this intense hardship, I've had to look deep inside. And I recognized my faith wasn't real. And so he would tell you, I I repented before Jesus. I entered into a real relationship in which he was my Lord and my King. And from that point on, I had assurance of what I could, could count on when I stood before him on the day of judgment. When we experience trial and hardship, it does one of two things in our lives. One, it shows to us our our faith in Jesus isn't genuine and it's not real and it gives us the, the thing that we need more than anything else, the opportunity to repent. Or, for the believer, it shows them your faith is real. Your faith is genuine. That's happened for so many of you over the last 10 months as we've experienced some new and different challenges. During that time, you have grown in faith. You have connected and clung to Jesus in the midst of those challenges. You've grown in love rather than selfishness. And what does that do? It provides the ultimate assurance. I belong to Jesus and I'm going to be with him forever. What great hope there is when we, see trial, when we have trials and see faith in our lives in response. That kind of living faith is talked about in verses 8 and 9. Though you have not seen him, Jesus, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That is what real faith looks like lived out. Faith in Jesus, even though I don't see him in front of me, I live in faith and with a deep love that has committed life to him. Even though I don't see that heavenly inheritance or the glorification that is to come, we live in this land of exile every day with our inheritance in mind in a way that changes how we live. We have faith that leads to a joy that is inexpressible even as we go through the greatest challenges that are before us. Because our God has chosen us, chosen to save us to an astounding inheritance in heaven and then provided believers with the kinds of trials that assures them of their faith so that they can live in that amazing assurance here upon the earth. What an astounding hope our God has given to us. I, I can't walk through this passage with you without asking you the question that verses 6 and 7 Is That is, do you have that genuine faith in Jesus? That that genuine faith that's necessary for that heavenly inheritance. If you don't know the answer to that question or or if you're saying, "Mm, the answer is no, but maybe I should. I would love for you to mark on this connect card or indicate if you're online on the chat a desire to talk more about this because I'd love to talk more about what that kind of genuine faith is like in life. If you do see that genuine faith, Isn't it exciting to just be able to praise God together for what He has done in our lives? Through His great mercy, He has given us a living hope. A hope that looks forward to an astounding inheritance that God has secured for us. And we just praise Him for that. I want to show you a couple of videos right now of a couple of young people in our church who are getting baptized at a different service. Uh, and, and just listen to them as they talk about their beginning steps of faith in Jesus Christ.